Hey there, thanks for tuning in to the St. Oswald's Haberfield Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Sydney's inner west, following Jesus and helping people find grace, learn hope and be light. If you'd like to visit us or find out more, go to cciw.church. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order, order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren, and both were getting on in years. Once when he was serving as priest before God and his section was on duty, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and offer incense. Now at the time of the incense offering, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified, and fear overwhelmed him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know that this is so? For I am an old man, and my wife is getting on in years. The angel replied, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. But now, because you did not believe my words, which which will be fulfilled in their time, You will become mute, unable to speak until the day these things occur. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondered at his delay in the sanctuary. When he did not come out, he could not speak to them, and they realised that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He kept motioning to them and remained unable to speak. When his time of service was ended, he went to his home, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and, in, and for five months she remained in seclusion. She said, This is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favourably on me and took away the disgrace I have endured among my people. So now uh, we jump a little further forward in that chapter, starting at verse 57 and going to 66. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. Her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown his great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother said, No, he's to be called John. They said to her, None of your relatives have this name. Then they began motioning to his father, to find out what name he wanted to give him. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And all of them were amazed. 
Immediately his mouth was open and his tongue freed, and he began to speak, praising God. Fear came over all the neighbours, and all these things were talked about throughout the entire hill country of Judea. And all who heard them pondered them and said, What then will this child become? For indeed the hand of the Lord was with him. Zechariah had been waiting for this moment his whole life. He was a priest of God from the order of Abijah, one of 24 priestly divisions that served God in the religious life of Israel. Twice a year, in addition to the major festivals like Passover and Pentecost and the Festival of Booths, each priestly division would be rostered to serve in the temple for a week at a time, performing various functions like officiating worship, burning incense in the sanctuary, hearing confessions, praying the liturgy, accepting sacrifices, and mostly butchering animals. Some ancient sources say that there were as many as a thousand priests per division meaning 24,000 priests in total across Israel who taught in the synagogues and towns when they were not on duty and who traveled away from their families when it was their order's turn to lead the worship in Jerusalem. And now he was Zechariah. He'd waited for years for the opportunity to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and to offer the incense. Because there were so many priests in Israel... Only priests who had not previously done so were eligible for the honor. This was a one-time gig. To go into the temple before the curtain of the Holy of Holies at the golden incense altar next to the gold lampstand and the table of the showbread. When the priest went in to offer the incense, everybody stopped what they were doing. And prayed. This was a big deal. And you can imagine Zechariah standing amongst his fellow priests year after year as the names were called Reuben, no, Joshua, no, Issachar, no, Joshua, so many Joshuas. For years and years it had been this way. He and his wife Elizabeth were past childbearing age, so they were no spring chickens. And then this day, as the lots were drawn, Zechariah. Zechariah looks around. He's half expecting that it's to be for somebody else, and those standing around him slap him on the shoulder and they smile. And he realizes that it's his turn, his once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Zechariah had been waiting. Of course, it wasn't the only area of his life that Zechariah had been waiting, was it? There'd been another kind of waiting that he and Elizabeth had endured, the month-to-month waiting as they tried unsuccessfully to conceive and have children. 
neither of them had been able to explain why God had not given them this gift. They'd prayed for it, not just once or twice, but countless times as they'd wept and wrestled with doubt and trust and resolved time and again that the Lord was still good. Luke tells us in verse 6 that Elizabeth and Zechariah were both righteous before God living blamelessly according to the commandments and regulations of the Lord. And that's important to notice. So we don't make the mistake of thinking that the reason God hadn't blessed them with children was because of some kind of hidden sinfulness that they'd harbored in their hearts. They weren't perfect, but they were righteous because the law had made grounds for imperfect people to be forgiven through sacrifice and repentance, and according to the law of God, they were blameless in His sight. And yet they were still waiting, still wondering why God had kept this joy from Him. That's one of the ways, one of the things that makes the God of the Bible so different to the ways people often conceive of religion and God, isn't it? Even as Christians, we can sometimes fall into the trap of seeing God this way, of thinking that our relationship with God is about pulling the right levers. When something goes wrong in our life, or when we haven't received what we hope for, we assume that it's because we haven't prayed hard enough or worshipped authentically enough, or been good enough. But Zechariah and Elizabeth have done all the right things, and still, they're waiting. And there in the temple, as Zechariah goes in to offer the incense before the Lord, something unexpected happens. Verse 10, if you're following along in a Bible, or you can just listen as I read out a couple of verses. Now, at the time of the incense offering... The whole assembly of the people was praying outside. Then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and fear overwhelmed him. I love that. It's not enough to just say he's terrified. You've got to put the fear bit in there as well. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. The angel goes on to tell Zechariah of how this son would not drink alcohol, a sign that he was set aside for God's service like the Nazarites of old. He would be filled with the Holy Spirit, even in Elizabeth's womb. He would be the vehicle through whom many in Israel were turned back to God, fulfilling words that had been prophesied 400 years earlier in the prophet Malachi. And having seen this incredible reality of an angel standing before him and having heard this incredible promise of a son in answer to his prayers and having realized that the promise fulfillment was also tied to the promise Israel had been waiting for for hundreds, make that thousands of years, Zechariah says, thank you. Just wait till I go home and tell Elizabeth. No, he doesn't do that. 
He doesn't do that at all. Instead, Zechariah is like, um, is the Lord going to like give a sign or something so that I can know this is about to happen? And the angel, I mean, you can imagine if this were like reenacted as a comedy, he like hits his forehead like that and he's like, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of the Lord. I've been sent here to speak to you and to bring you this good news. I didn't show up by accident. No, I do the Lord's bidding. If you wanted to paraphrase it, it would be something like, are you kidding me, Zechariah? See, Zechariah's been waiting, but he's not ready. He's been waiting, but he's not prepared. And it's easy to pile on Zechariah at this point. He was a righteous man. He was a priest, which meant it was his job to be ready. But aren't we also prone to this same kind of response? You can think of the trivial things, of course. You're sitting at a stoplight and you see your phone light up and you look down just for a moment. You don't look, sorry, you, you just look, you don't touch it but you're trying to see who has texted you or responded to your Insta story or which breaking news has just been announced. And before you know it, someone is beeping their horn at you because the lights turned green and you've stopped in the middle of the road holding up the traffic, waiting but not ready. And then there's more significant examples, right, of uh, where it comes into a spiritual domain. We start out praying that God will... Do something for us. We pray boldly and regularly for something we're hoping to receive from the Lord, maybe healing from sickness or repair in a relationship or discernment over what I should be doing in my life. Or for growth in an area where it seems like it's taking a long time for the Holy Spirit to change us or for revival in our churches or for a friend we've been building a relationship with to show an interest in Jesus and our faith but over time we fall into patterns of complacency and we stop praying or at least we we stop praying prayers that we think God couldn't answer and we only pray the prayers that we're pretty sure he can Or maybe we stop expecting God to show up at all. We even come to church and we like the singing and we find the teaching thoughtful and sometimes inspirational, but we don't expect to encounter God. We don't expect to be met by His presence in a way that wrecks us and fills us with a sense of our incredible smallness compared to His overwhelming glory. We don't expect to be comforted in our tears or to feel the sweet peacefulness of knowing that I'm a child in the arms of my Father who is holding on to me and who can be trusted in any circumstance. Maybe we used to expect that and we used to experience that, but for whatever reason, we're still Christian and we're still waiting, but we've stopped being ready Or maybe we've become complacent with the things in our lives that don't match up with the life that Jesus wants for us. 
We know we should be generous with what God has entrusted. But in a week where countless products and subscription services are being advertised to us at Black Friday prices, we find ourselves constantly checking store websites and looking for bargains of things we don't even need so we can get that next thing. That consumer dopamine hit from upgrading or adding that does a good job of alleviating our sense of boredom and dissatisfaction at least for a few weeks. We know we're called to a holy sexuality, but we've stopped aiming for this and we just start hoping that others won't find out what our private lives really look like. We know we're supposed to love our neighbours, even our enemies, but in the day-to-day of it, we find ourselves entertaining judgmental thoughts or desires for revenge or feeling smug about our own lives compared to the lives of others around us. Or maybe we've filled ourselves up to the point of endless distraction and stimulation to escape from the sense that there is something wrong with the world, something that's dark that needs the light to break in. And so our expectancy has been numbed and we wait, but not with hunger, not with a longing for God to come and restore what has been broken, not prepared. Do you see the point? We too wait for something. We wait not for Jesus' first arrival, his incarnation in a manger in Bethlehem. But we do wait. We wait for his return when every promise of God will be fulfilled and every wrong will be righted. And that's what Advent is all about. These four Sundays, these four weeks that lead up to Christmas, starting today at the beginning of the church's season, historically called Advent. It comes from the Latin Adventus, and it just means coming or arrival. And though it's immediately before Christmas, historically it's had a double meaning. It's partly about preparing for the incarnation of Christ, but it's more about remembering and preparing for Christ's coming again in glory, which is why we're spending four Sundays looking at the life and ministry of John the Baptist. Let every heart prepare, because John the Baptist is God's gift to a people who were waiting but not ready If God showed up via an angel to Zechariah in the temple and he's not ready, imagine what it's going to be like when he shows up to the nation. And so God sent John to prepare the way. Take a look, verse 17. The angel says, With the spirit and power of Elijah, he will go before him, that is the Messiah, to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is God saying, I'm about to do something that has never been done before. I'm about to do something that will change the course of this world's history I'm about to give you my own son, very God of very God. And I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to not be ready. 
And that's how Advent can be a help to us. Millennia after this news was first announced to Zechariah, because God doesn't want to miss what he's doing either. He doesn't want us to get so familiar with the Christmas story that it ceases to inspire us with wonder and hope. He doesn't want us to live with that expectation of Jesus' coming again and to let that reality of the future give shape to how we wait in the present. Advent reminds us not just to wait, but to be ready. Over the next few weeks, we're going to explore some of the ways that John the Baptist teaches us to wait with readiness, how to prepare the way for the Lord. And I don't want to jump in too much into those topics this week, or I won't have anything to preach when we get to them. But what I invite you to do this morning is to reflect in your own heart and ponder what might be one thing, one thing that you can do this Advent to stir your anticipation for Christ's coming. There are some great Advent devotional resources out there. Something different for each day for the month of December. And a couple of them we shared in the e-news last week. You can ask me about them if you need uh, those resources. There's the opportunity you may have seen in your e-news this week, to purchase some of CCIW's Advent Series postcards that have been made by artists from across our church with all profits going to International Justice Mission and to either use them to write Advent-themed or Christmas notes to people or even just to sit with them and to use them to help you meditate on the story of John and on the Lord's coming. Maybe for you amongst the work parties and the present buying and the summer socializing, there needs to be a deliberate intentionality about practicing thankfulness to the Lord. So you don't forget the source from which all good gifts come. Or maybe you could punctuate the moments of feasting and celebration with some practices of simplicity, of choosing not to buy as much as you ordinarily would or just because you can. Of eating and drinking simply in the in-between times so that you remind yourself that your hopes hinge on the return of Christ and not on the goodness of this life. What might it look like for you to wait and be prepared Next week, we'll uh, consider the all-important topic of repentance, how getting our hearts right with God is part of being ready. And the week after that, we'll focus on worship, adoration, gratitude, and rejoicing. And in the final week, we'll learn what it means to patiently trust when things don't look like they're going to plan. That's the map of our series. Each week, a bit of John's life, a bit of his story, tying it back into what we are hoping for and why we need to look beyond ourselves to Jesus and his coming again. We'll come back to Zechariah. Zechariah gets a sign. He asks for one and he gets one. It's just also a sign of judgment because of his unbelief. He's told by Gabriel that he won't be able to speak until the child is born. Can you imagine him? 
been thinking about this this week, coming out and standing amongst the people who've realized that he's seen a vision and he's trying to mime having seen an angel. I don't even know what you'd do. One word, two syllables, sounds like bagel. (laughs) Zechariah goes home to Elizabeth, and when she conceives, she says, This is what the Lord has done for me when he looked favorably on me and took away the disgrace that I've endured among my people. I take it that the Lord looking favorably on her is about finally falling pregnant and not about muting her husband for the last five months, though maybe that's a collateral blessing in all of this. And when the child is born, they take him to the temple to have him named and circumcised, and everyone thinks that he'll be called Zechariah after his father, a way to carry on the family name. But Elizabeth and Zechariah know that this child must be called by another name. He's to be named John, which means God's gracious gift. And that's significant because the answer God gives to Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayers, the arrival of a child, a long-awaited-for and hoped-for child, is a gift from God. But it's more than this. See, this child, this child will be the beginning of God's great reversal of Israel's fortunes. He will make ready the way for the Messiah. He must be called John because this child is not about preserving the past or a name for Zechariah. He's about God doing something new. When the people ask John to confirm the boy's name, he takes a tablet and writes, his name is John, and immediately his mouth was opened and he could speak and he praises God. And I can't help but think that this sign is meant to be a little enacted parable. Because for so long, Israel had been waiting for God to break in and do something. For so long, they'd been waiting in a period of relative silence from God, from the end of the Old Testament writer, the prophet Malachi, to the angel appearing to announce John's birth. Sure, God had still been active and preserving and caring for his people, and there were intertestamental writings and moments of deliverance, but there was this sense in Israel that the word of the Lord had not come. That the presence of the Lord had not come, that they were still waiting for something. And if John and Elizabeth had been waiting a long time, then, sorry, if Zechariah and Elizabeth had been waiting a long time, Israel had been waiting even longer, waiting for a word, waiting for a sign, and now finally God was on the move. And Zechariah's ability to speak again, and a child for a barren woman and soon a child for a virgin mother. Do you see how like all of these moments are about something new happening in a place where it would be so unexpected? Those were all signs that God was breaking the silence and that salvation was finally to be delivered. And what this means is that Advent is a moment to consider our waiting 
to let every heart prepare him room. But it's also a moment to wait with hope. Because we, what we wait for is the Lord who has come once before. Christ has come. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And that's good news. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this amusing little story of your servant, Zechariah, and his wife, Elizabeth. We thank you for what it teaches us about waiting and being ready. And we pray, Holy Spirit, this Advent, would you help each one of us to do something that nurtures in us an anticipation, a hunger, a desire for Jesus' coming again. We want to be the kind of people who pray earnestly, come Lord Jesus. And so make us those kinds of people and encourage us by the hope that we have in him. We pray it in his name. Amen.